What does it mean Messiah matters? It means apart from him we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It is Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 219. What is that sound? Finally able to hear myself in the first time in two years. My name is Caleb Hank, and with me, fast enough internet, we can hopefully see him. Rob Van Huff. What up, Rob? How's it going? It's going well. I think we just kicked everyone off of our stream. I could be totally wrong. Um... I don't know. It says that we got two. We had like 20 people waiting for us. We've had a lot of technical problems. Sorry about that, everyone. Is everyone there? Hello, everyone. And we hope that our sound is good. We hope that everything is good. Um, yeah. What's going on, man? Uh, some people aren't following, so I, I had to refresh. I just put on my on there that I had to refresh the the feed here. So. Yeah, it looks like a lot of people had to refresh. Anyway, it's uh, it's good to have everyone here. And unfortunately, we are not broadcasting out through the radio right now, which is a problem. But what can you do? We're going to have to figure it out next week. How you been, man? <laughs> I've been mean, <I'm> well. <laughs> Praise God. I, I'm just I'm laughing because, of course, I've got a, a little faster system going here. But I've, the temptation is to read the chat room. So I'm going to actually close the chat room box uh, so I can focus here, Caleb, because you know my brain. I'm spaghetti brain. Yeah, that was the worst part of when uh, Rob tried to monitor the uh, the <laughs> chat room is that he never actually talked to me. It was the Caleb. Like it, was the, like, it was the Caleb show. <laughs> it's like my wife. Like I'm, I'm on my laptop in the, you know, in the dining room table. My wife's in the kitchen talking to me, and she's like, it's like you're here, but you're not even here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's funny. I'm reading an article right now. <laughs> so I wonder if uh, I wonder if uh, everyone didn't get show notes. I got show notes. Did anyone else get show notes? I hope that our uh, I hope that our our people will let us know. Um, okay, well, let's for now just move on to all it, the things. Just I want to just say one thing: the the snafus that we're having are relating to dealing with our better a better setup that we have. That's so right. it's not we're not struggling with old school problems, it's new problems and so um, just a note to don't be discouraged. <laughs> uh, Caleb, you don't be discouraged either because we're learning new stuff that is going to once we get the kinks out it's going to be uh, really nice compared to uh, past uh, production. So yeah, and here's the thing is that um, speaking of all the new stuff that we have um, 
I had horrible audio problems uh, the past week, and uh, so much so that I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. So uh, I did some research. I called some people. I got a hold of a, a engineer, an audio engineer who knows this stuff very well, and he said, well, it sounds like you're using a, a below-average board. And I said, well, yeah, that's probably true. You know, I bought everything on a budget, so my board was a, a very inexpensive board. Um, and so he he uh, he suggested to uh, throw down a, 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 not a lot of money. I, I spent about $200, which to me is a lot of money, but um, I spent about $200, and I got a, a brand-new analog board uh, for audio. And I also got an interface that uh, takes that analog board into my computer. If you don't know what I'm talking about... Let me just say this. I got back to my office. I plugged it all in. I opened everything up and instantly there was sound, which was incredible. Everything all of a sudden was evened out. So on my old system, audio levels were all over the place. So sound effects were way too loud sometimes and way too quiet other times. I was, you know, all over the place. I was loud sometimes, quiet sometimes. Half the time I couldn't hear Rob. I was always loud. There you go. Um, but the point anyway, is, yeah, the point technical, is technical, technical stuff, technical stuff. It's going to be better. The point is, is that now it's actually very nice and sounds good. And then also, and all this is possible. Why? Because of our supporters. Uh, no joke. We've had people uh, come and, and start supporting uh, Messiah Matters, which has given us the ability to not only get my sound equipment worked out, but also Rob finally got faster internet it's only been four and a half years and uh now because of the generous support of our supporters uh we have been able to actually get rob a, a faster internet connection to me it looks really good it looks like he's uh he's got you know uh, like everything looks good so i hope it does i hope it i hope uh i hope it looks good to everybody out there too so it looks like uh the people in the chat room are showing back up sorry about all the technical uh the technical issues that we had in the beginning I think I figured them out, um, but yeah, the unfortunate part is, is that right now I don't have a soundboard, which is fine, and uh, anyway, okay, let's move on. Let's get to more important things. Before we say anything else, let's just say that uh, Messiah Matters is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is a wonderful place to find all sorts of uh, different resources that you may have uh, need for. For instance, videos and uh, audio lectures and written materials, over 100 academic papers on various topics, so on and so forth. And so I would encourage everyone to go there and take a look at TorahResource.com. Also, it's brought to you by, uh, well, our supporters, as we have already said, uh, become a supporter for less than the price of a car wash each month. That's right. Um, for five dollars, well, each week for five dollars a uh, a month, rather five dollars a month. For five dollars a month, you can become a, a, a supporter of Messiah Matters. Do that by going to torresource.com, hover over radio, and go down to Messiah Matters. There's all sorts of information on there, including where you can sign up for our show notes. And um, yeah, uh, sign up for our show notes because uh, they are good show notes. Uh, up on the screen right now, you see our comment line. You can call us 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Or you can send us an email, chag at com. Okay, with all that said, let's move on to bigger and better things now. Um, first of all, I want to address a... Uh, well, well, here's, here's the order we'll go in, Rob, because I didn't... Uh, 
in our prelim uh, note share. I didn't quite tell you how we would do this. Uh, let's do a comment, then we'll do our uh, ba- uh, buy, borrow, or bag, and then we'll go into our main topic. Okay, so um, I got this email. This is from, uh, a, and this is a great email too, because you know he, this person was very concerned about some of the things that I had said on a previous uh, show. I believe it was show 216. Uh, this person says, I agree people can come up with some crazy stuff on their own. Now, he's going to be referencing a segment that we did uh, kind of on the fly. I was talking about everybody's a scholar, right? And basically what I was saying is, you know, you got all these people out there. They are uh, they are uh, convinced that uh, if they read a How Wiki page, they have uh, all the information Uh, that they need, and they jump onto Facebook, and uh, they instantly become a Bible scholar instead of taking, you know, six years to go ahead and and study and and write and all these kind of things. They just instantly are a Bible scholar, and uh, then they proceed to tell everyone else how wrong they are. And so this person uh, is taking issue with this. He says, uh, I agree pe- uh, people... Sounds like you're describing the Robin Caleb show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree people can come up with some crazy stuff on their own. I think we ought to be careful not to go so far as to say or imply that a person cannot know or understand the truth God invites us to learn, know, and understand by his Holy Spirit without the help of seminary. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Some would find that position to undercut the idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, before I go on, yes, I agree. You do not have to go to seminary to be well-educated. And the Holy Spirit can give you knowledge all that he sees fit. However, Uh, 99% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, the Holy Spirit gives us means by which to get somewhere, right? How does a person come uh, hear about the gospel? Well, sometimes a person will walk outside, see the sky, and say there must be a God. That does happen. But predominantly, the Holy Spirit brings another person to tell them about the gospel. That person is a means by which to uh, God uses to give that person the gospel. The same is true for education. Very rarely does the uh, Holy Spirit come and hit somebody upside the head, and all of a sudden they're brilliant in in, uh, biblical Hebrew or something like that. Now, I'm not saying that a person can't study and become wise on their own. A perfect example of this is uh, Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon never went to seminary and was probably one of the most influential preachers of the 1800s. Okay, and even to this day, I mean, his books have influenced me greatly, and and I really appreciate Spurgeon's work. Uh, And he never went to seminary, but he did due diligence in studying and pouring over the library that his uh, his grandfather had. I believe it was his grandfather, might have been his father, um, had a library because he was uh, a a preacher and and uh, and had a quite a, a extensive theological library. And Spurgeon put his hands to the plow and actually did hard work in studying. Now, what I'm saying is anyone can do that. I've never been to seminary. Unfortunately, I'd love to go. I'd love to be in a, uh, to go to a formal sem- seminary. Um, what I have done is I've spent years now, six years studying under various teachers and um, reading copious amounts of works, which can be uh, trying and can be a strain on family sometimes and can, um, it is what it is, right? There's cost, yeah. There's, there's cost to it. Gotta want it. 
Um, but the point is, is that when someone, you know, and my, and the more I study, the more I realize that are, you know, even when you are educated, uh, you usually focus in one area of study. For instance, my, my uh, focus of study now is Eucharistic studies. So I'm not going to, you know, basically when I need to know something about Paul, I usually look uh, first to the, the Pauline uh, scholars. Uh, you know, my father is a, is a Pauline scholar, in my opinion, and, and so um, I go to people like that. If I want to know something about Greek, I ask Rob, because I'm not a Greek scholar. And then I, I email somebody else and ask them and then hand it <laughs> off to Caleb. But the point is, the point is, is, that, uh, is, is that, you know, all of a sudden when somebody comes around and thinks that because they've read an article, an article on some ministry's website, that they all of a sudden have uh, this wonderful uh, knowledge and that they can then go and, uh, you know, um, uh, basically I think berate everyone. Learning, I think in our present, like, political situation with the internet and claims of fake news and i think people are starting to go wait i get it i i don't just you know well this this same thing just take a headline right and this same thing has been going on since the well even before the reformation right when the reformation happened tons of splinter groups started uh uh popping up all over the place and the reformers had to constantly fight against Inerrant theology, or errant theology, errant theology. Um, he goes on, and I thought this was interesting. He says, I think a reason people can have this cemetery seminary view is because some of the time students emerge from such programs shamefully arrogant. I agree with this. I do agree with this. However, uh, you know, uh, the same thing happens, uh, I think, across the board, and it doesn't just happen in seminary. So, for instance, um, I know a friend who went to school, became a doctor, and is now a surgeon. And uh, he bemoans the fact that uh, in his church, there are a lot of people who are convinced that uh, all medicine is, is um, stupid. And basically they have, uh, you know, uh, drink this tea root to get rid of your cancer kind of mentality. And um, he's very frustrated by that. Well, why is he frustrated by that? Because he's been uh, trained for eight years in, in, in the body. And, and uh, now I'm not saying that he's right all the time. And I'm not saying that, that surgeons are always right and that we don't gain things from natural remedies. But what I'm saying is people gain an education and they've spent a lot of time in something. That doesn't give him the right to be arrogant. Gary said he's seen a few arrogant plumbers too. So apparently, theologians and plumbers, right? Exactly. Can be, can be, of all humans, those are the two. <laughs> that, okay, so, yeah, so I would just I think we should just have a, a campaign, you know, against theological or plumbing arrogance. I don't think that we, you know, no matter what. Well, this this is my point though. I I think that no matter what our field is. You know, when you put when you put your mind and your your um, hand to uh, a a trade or to something, no matter what it is, we shouldn't be arrogant. As believers, we should try not to be arrogant. Right. So, the, so uh, yeah, the, it's a fair point. Um, but the scriptures are clear, right? So it, let's say there is a theologian who is uh, uh, arrogant. Well, there. The scripture, you know, they stand condemned in front of the scriptures, right? Because the scriptures say 
what do you have that you didn't receive? Right. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Be sober-minded. Right. A wise person will hear and increase learning. It's a fool who thinks that he knows it all, etc. So that their issue is between them and the Lord. Um, and so, but that's true for all of us. Uh, that's, I mean, even the Torah warns against the king of Israel, lest his heart be lifted up. Right. Right. Uh, he has to meditate in the Torah. It says. Uh, and this comes read read from the Torah so right. that he learns that his heart will not puff up. Right, exactly. Um, and then then this person actually does go on to um, how are the levels, everybody in the in the chat room? Sorry, off topic. This person goes on and and this person uh, describes <laughs> this uh, this person describes somebody in the cage stage. And um, if you don't know what the cage stage is, I'll explain in just a second. He says, uh, I had a seminary student call me a fool in the company of other uh, professed believers because I challenged his Calvinistic view that Messiah died only for those who would be saved. And mind you, when I say challenged, I'm talking about asking how he reconciled reconciles that idea to the uh, Bible verses like John 3.16, 1 John 2.2, 1 Timothy 2.4, etc. His gymnastics were amazing, and he talked more about John Calvin, Tulip, and John MacArthur than God, which completely baffled me. Well, I I agree that this person should have uh, certainly just taken you straight to Romans 9 and uh, explains uh, what the Bible says. But the point is, is that uh, you're right. This person was certainly out of line. I, I think that this comes down to human, right? Human nature. We all have a, to- uh, a tendency at, at different times to become p- p- puffed up and arrogant. And this is exactly what Rob's talking about. We are warned by the scriptures not to do this and to uh, try to, you know, uh, uh, be more like the Messiah. We do this how? We do this through prayer and we do this through the reading of the scripture and entreating God to be with us and help us in our walk. And so um, I think, uh, oh, in terms of the cage stage, uh, we, us Calvinists, we, uh, when someone finally comes to a understanding of the doctrines of grace and believes in the doctrines of grace, uh, what tends to happen is they go into a, everyone has to know, it's a lot like messy, like messianic Torah observance or, you know, coming to the understanding of Torah. It's like, uh, all of a sudden everyone around them, they, they need to inform everyone around them. And they're very zealous for the truth of what they have learned. And so other Calvinists will say that uh, when somebody becomes a new Calvinist, they get into the cage stage, which means that we need to put them in a cage and not let them out for a year or two until they calm down. This happens in Messianic Hebrew root circles as well with the Torah. Um, you come to an understanding that we should be keeping the Sabbath or, or the festivals, and all of a sudden you want to explain not only to your family and your friends, but to your entire church, including your pastor, um, the good news that you've learned and uh, this <laughs> this can be uh, uh, jolting for everyone around, right? Um, okay, so uh, we have no soundboard, and I still haven't made a sound clip for our buy, borrow, or bag. But today is Rob's turn. What do you got for us, Rob? We need music for that. Too. I know. All right, this book is called Risking Truth by Scott A. Ellington. All right. Risking Truth. I have not read this book. And it, it was published in 2008, so it's about 10 years old. Okay. And uh, it's, it's a, a study of lament in the Bible, the biblical genre, if you will, of lament, and how 
it, it's really well done. I, I, I'll just start off before I even talk about it. I would say this is, if you're you know, a deep thinker in terms of uh, theodicy, how, does, how do we reconcile our faith that God is good and our, mm. our certainty that God is faithful to his covenant? Um, trying to reconcile that with, with uh, very difficult, trying, um, traumatic experiences in your life where you wonder, where is God? Okay. Right. Um, I think uh, Dr. Ellington here does a really good job of introducing, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of academic, but it's, it's well-written, well-bibliographed, you know, full of citations, well-researched. Um, but he dives into that, the, the idea of lament, and he looks at, for example, the prophet Jeremiah and other, at the book of Job, for example, places where you, and in the Psalms, where you have someone, uh, basically a human, crying out to God, why? Right. Or how long? You're right, why, where are you? Yeah. You know, I've been listening to this latest McKedem CD, and they have this song for, they do Psalm 13, uh, the whole psalm, beautiful song. And Psalm 13 is one of those, right? Adonai, Adonai, right? Tastir Panecha Mimeni, right? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you forgotten me forever, right? So the cry of the, the heart of the person who believes in God, but all the human institutions don't have any solutions to the catastrophe at hand. Right. And so what happens in that most vulnerable space is uh, the, the framework, right, for your trust in traditions of men sh is shaken. And, and you cry out and wait for God to do something, right, for God to act and to bring restoration, to bring new life, mm. uh, a, a reigniting hope. I mean, coming just out a few days after Shavuot, you know, where... Uh, our community, we read uh, really slowly through the book of Ruth, which is easy to do. It's only four chapters, so you can pause and reflect. But uh, Naomi, even though there's not much about Ruth in this book uh, that I remember, but um, Naomi, I mean, she ends up saying, don't even call me Naomi, call me Mara, which is right. bitter. Right. From her story, she says, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I mean, that was her story. That was her world. Right. And it was for the for the hope and an amazing faith of this humble Moabite widow who said, I'm with you right where you go. I'm going to go right. Etc. We all know. And, and she has a hope and even Ruth didn't know all she knew that she was, she wasn't leaving Naomi and they had an, uh, an awesome uh, connection. And, None of them knew where the story was going to end, right? And so, of course, the Lord comes through, and Naomi ends up in the end of the book. She's rejoicing because not only, um, you know, even though she was a widow and she'd lost both her sons, here even, uh, you know, Obed is kind of reckoned as even her own child, right? It's the revival of her family. And then not only that, we learn that this, this tiny little thread of hope of, of, of Ruth, who's not Israelite, not a covenant person, in the eyes of men, but God knew who Ruth was. Right. God knew what he was going to do with Ruth. 
God knew what he was going to do with Naomi. But Naomi had a phase in her life where she considered herself bitter and that God had delivered her bitterness and that there was no solution. And as far as she knew, that was the rest of her life was going to be this way. So anyway, I'm, I'm uh, kind of getting lost in a footnote there. Uh, Scott Ellington in Risking Truth unpacks the biblical form of the lament, the lament as a, a covenantal cry that it's anchored in that God is good and he is faithful to the covenant. Um, so it's not just a complaint that things are bad. It's, it's, that, it's, it's not just a complaint. It's a, it's a cry out why. Why is this injustice enduring? And uh, sometimes God is silent, right, through those. Um, and uh, there's so much to be said about this. But one last comment is that, well, look at Yeshua on the cross. He, what does he cite? Lama Sabachthani, right? Where, you know, Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? That's the, the basic cry out of, of that expression of feeling abandoned by God. Right. And God's not against people of humans expressing themselves, right? And, uh, but, but back to the application. I think there's an application of, of the lament the biblical form of lament for our understanding of the gospel, of course, and even, you know, what we're trying to teach in terms of what we call, you know, a one Torah uh, hermeneutic is that we have an enduring longing for the, for the return of the Messiah. We also like Paul, Paul will say rejoice with evermore, right? Rejoice always. But Paul also says, I have a, a, a deep, uh, never-ending sorrow in my heart, right, in Romans. Why does he say that? For the salvation of Israel. So there's a, a uh, I think we can get so wrapped up in, in especially those in more affluent uh, uh, countries or communities, you know, we can kind of forget the cry. But But we know that even in the apostolic writings, we remember those who are suffering. We remember those who are in prison, who are uh, victims, who are marginalized. And that this ties back to our discussion last week of that passage from, from Hebrews 9, verse 10, that was taken as by the one group of the book we were reading as, oh, Yeshua came and, and the time of restoration. So all these laws are done away. Um, no, we, we still long. Uh, there's still suffering in the world. There's pain, and, and we can't pretend that that's not a real part of who we are and uh our this cry out finally that this cry out for for god to bring justice to the world and to to bring restoration is at the same time a recognition that the traditions of men are are insufficient and sometimes lead us in the wrong direction and so there's a risk i think a lot of the messianic movement has already whether self-consciously or not, been acting out of a kind of lament in that, uh, in the general terms of recognizing the insufficiency of the way the Bible's been taught in many places. They're, they're, they're not willing to just say, okay, Easter and Christmas and Sunday. They, there's just, they can't in good conscience continue to accept that as the final expression of following the Holy Spirit in this world. And so, but then what do they do? They abandon that form 
they abandon the Christmas and the Easter and, and they go out and they risk all sorts of loss because what's the guarantee and, and what, where's God going to come through on the outs on that journey. And, uh, that's right where the, the, the jackals and the, the wolves, right? They all come in right there and they prey on those sheep that are vulnerable. But, uh, right. And they're selling, Oh, this is what you need to do instead. Or this is what all the solutions, this is your Indiana Jones rabbit trails of Hebrew word pictures and alternative calendars and lunar Sabbath. And you have to say it this way, you know, all the people who peddle their, their different mystery, um, religions, but God is faithful and that's our anchor. God is faithful and this is going to tie into our, our theme today of the and what does it mean to be un, when Paul says under the law? Okay, hang on. Now, now you're that, now you're now you're moving out of book review into okay, main topic. Okay, so buy, hang on, you got you got to you got to wrap it up borrow. here. Okay. Buy or borrow, not definitely not a bag. He's not messianic, so there's the this there's work to do in this in developing these ideas. But this is a great. Uh, great addition to a library. There's multiple things that are going on. Sorry, my allergies are killing me today. There are multiple things going on in the uh, in the in the chat room. First of all, Helen, let me address your comment right after I address this. Eliyahu says, "Should we follow the Pharisees?" Well, we wouldn't know how to follow the Pharisees. The idea and the con- the concept that uh, Mishnaic or Rabbinic uh, Judaism today is anything like it was in first century Judaism. Well, no, it, well, I would say, but yes, I would say, yeah, but you're not going to find any Pharisees today. Right. Exactly. That's what, so, but it's also, we should follow the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes means we need to attend, we need to learn uh, the wisdom of the Masoretic tradition because those are the scribes that preserve the Tanakh for us. And uh, on the other hand, the Pharisaic tradition, we pretty much know in general what it was. It's, it's a, a understanding that resurrection of the dead is, is built into the Torah and, and the, the God's giving of the Torah. It's a certain way of reckoning, for example, counting the Omer. Um, it's a certain canon, right? right? It's a certain view of the canon of the Tanakh, as opposed to, let's say, the Essenes, right? Okay, okay hang on. Group. Hang on. So there are Pharisaic things that we will definitely uh, take. Okay, with that being said, let's uh, go to Helen. Uh, she, uh, Helen says, academic isn't the best, best quote unquote way to study, is it? She says, not specific. Uh, uh, okay. She says, um, I understand methodology. I think, however, many aren't able to, in all cases, fully do the historical literary yet need to move forward. Thus to put down those who can't fully express slash study in those methods is not a way forward. Okay. Perfect. I don't think it's a way forward either. And this is not what I'm saying. Look, I know people. I know good, good people who uh, don't, they're not going to go out and uh, sit down in a library and study in an academic way. What they're going to do is they're going to pick up their Bible every single morning. They're going to read their Bible every single night. They're going to get deep into the Word. They're going to be really great uh, in in uh, spiritual aspects. People you want praying for you, right? And great people to talk about the Word with. However, the people that I know that are like this tend to do to do several things. They be tend to be humble, first of all, and second of all, I don't see them getting onto Facebook and uh, excoriating everybody that they disagree with because they think that they know better than everyone else. 
You know, I, I've, I've seen this trend recently where people who have never studied a word of Hebrew tend to exegete uh, Hebrew words and phrases uh, because they've read something on, on a uh, post somewhere. This is what I'm talking about. This is not how you become a scholar. This is not how you, you know, learn how to exegete text. If you want to get deep into um, theological debate on a specific phrase within Hebrew, you need to take some Hebrew. You need to at least know what the letters are. You know, if you want to have a theological discussion about something very, very specific within, uh, you know, the Granville Sharp rule. Well, you, you know, that's fine to know what the Granville Sharp rule is. Granville Sharp rule is, but if you don't know, uh, you know, what Dr. Wallace has written on it because it was his PhD, uh, you know, dissertation and you haven't read some, uh, opposing views on it and you haven't done due diligence in sitting down and, and understanding not only what it is, but the various arguments that go along with it, then it doesn't give you a uh, right to go and tell uh, everyone online that they're idiots for uh, believing in it. That's my point. Is that the is that people think that they uh, are a, that they should go out and and tell everyone that they're wrong when they haven't studied any of these things? That's the problem. And not only that, but you don't have to go to a seminary to to study these things in an ac academic way. You can go to a library. You can pick up you know several theological books that look at one topic that have opposing views and study them and understand the argument correctly. That's totally fine, and that's what that's what uh, Spurgeon did. And that's what a lot of people do. I'm not saying that you have to have a seminary education. I'm saying don't think that you're a scholar. And, you know, it's like thinking that you're an astrophysicist without having any uh, education whatsoever. The fact of the matter is, is the people who are knowledgeable in those things tend to have done due diligence in reading books and understanding the concepts within that field. And the same goes for things like Greek, for Hebrew, for biblical studies in various topics. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't understand something. That's not the point. But especially when it comes to people, uh, you know, putting forward just nonsense views. I mean, the et is a perfect example. I've also heard this, though. I've heard people feel that they use, oh, you're being elitist as like a club to beat somebody up with because they because they're feeling some sort of uh, like that. Because they don't know what else to do. Because they haven't done their work. Right. You know, I, I mean, uh, so, so if I'm going to call somebody, oh, you're, you're arrogant. What does it take for me to call somebody arrogant? A knowledge. It it, so I'll answer it, that. It takes a knowledge of, of what you're <laughs> Am I just calling them arrogant because I'm mad and I, and I, I have some motive because I don't like something about them or am I calling them arrogant because in fact I can, I can demonstrate, look, you're, you're, you've built this argument off these pre specific presuppositions and there's these 10 facts that aren't even on your radar. Right. And if you right. took the time to look at them, you would actually be forced, um, to, to rework your whole story. This is how this has happened with me recently too. By the way, uh, I'm not just I'm not just uh, saying that you know everyone. The more I study in one specific field, you know, the more I learn about Eucharistic studies, the more I realize I know nothing. To be able to sit down and talk to someone who has, you know, even someone that I will disagree with in a large part. 
someone like a you know uh, Paul Bradshaw or, or an Andrew McGowan, these men are are Anglicans. Uh, I'm going to certainly disagree with them theologically, but they but they are ahead of their uh, of their field uh, in something that I'm trying to learn. Uh, so the point is is that you know uh, now I realize that when it comes to other studies that I've you know, I've begun to take on, I know nothing compared to a lot of these people. I, th- I think some of this, Caleb, could be that we weren't learned to, we weren't learned, <laughs> we weren't learned to, to think <laughs> critically. We weren't learned, no doubt. We weren't learned to, we did not learn to think critically. I did not learn to think critically, really, until college. Right. I, and I, you know, I went to a public high school you know, my, my public high school experience was pretty much a social thing. It, it, it was really, you know, the classes were getting in the way, <laughs> you know, really. I want to play was, guitar and listen to Van Halen, man. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the picture here is that what does it mean to be a, uh, a thinking human? But here's the thing. More importantly, are we in covenant? Right. The creator of the universe. And are, do we, are we in a, a, some sort of relationships where Gary would call it like a discipleship circle where we are being um, cared for and nourished and encouraged and challenged to walk in the, uh, the ways of the Lord as right. expressed in all of scripture. That's the shaping and decide, that's the learning that matters. Um, because, you know, you can have someone who goes and gets a PhD and they, they check all the boxes, then they go and they just start writing books and selling books and everybody automatically grants them authority because they have a PhD, because they've, they've got some academic stripes behind their name. Um, and that's dangerous. So the, uh, so the question is, are, are audiences being discipled correctly to know how to discern Yeshua, we should all be comforted by this. My sheep hear my voice. Yeshua's words. My sheep hear my voice. That's what we need to worry about. If you hear Yeshua's voice or not. Okay. Because if you hear Yeshua's voice, you're going to follow him and he will guide you. He'll give you teachers. He'll school you in the things you need to be schooled in. He'll swat you on the rear when you need the swatting. And that he'll build you up and you will grow, you will mature, you will be able to look back on your life and you'll be able to see an increase in holy living and a decrease of the old person, right? And an increased desire for him and an increased acknowledgement of your absolute dependence on his grace. Uh, and, you're, and you'll increase in joy, John 15. You know, you're going to get pruned, but your joy will increase, and that, that brings glory to the Father. And anybody who's in Messiah, who also is, uh, by his uh, grace and provision, studying Bible languages, for example, everything that they learn and, and study and glean and teach others, it better be filtered through their the fact that they're a branch on the vine of Messiah. Um, not to any agenda of need to sell a book, want to get a headline, need a need right. a million clicks or views or whatever, um, need to get a crowd because those those are the things that are going to be pruned off. Okay, we need to get we need to move on because we we have a huge subject here and we uh, are getting 
off track, but it's a good off track, right? I mean, these are important things to talk about. In fact, this is one of the reasons that in our show notes, I've uh, put a new little portion in there. Every single week, it's uh, asking good questions. And then I'm trying to put a question in and uh, asking for you to come back and, and, and talk about those questions, uh, whether it's among yourselves, whether it's sending an email to us, whatever. Um, I think it's uh, it's important to be able to uh, you know discuss these uh, these questions. And, and uh, it's not just these questions, but it's trying to train ourselves, all of us, myself included, um, to ask the, the really good questions. Okay. Um, so we, we saw something this week. Somebody sent this to us. It, it was very interesting. Um, and, uh, it, it, it was really disheartening as well because, um, this is a very well-known organization. I think people on Facebook, uh, don't tend to actually read what's in the post. They just see a headline and they click it, uh, because I had good friends that I know are one Torah who, uh, thumbs up and love this, even though, uh, this is really very disappointing. Um, and this is from a very large ministry, and we're not going to name the ministry because we'd rather uh, not do that, or uh, and we're not going to name the author either because uh, we don't think that it's necessary. And in, instead, we just want to talk about some of the points that they make. And so I will try to veil this first part because they're very open about um, this is a, a statement that was put on their Facebook page. It was a statement that was put uh, on their ministry's website, front and center. Um, and they've even written a book, an ebook about this that's 75 pages long. But, uh, we, so, uh, anyway, I'm going to try to rework some of this wording. Our ministry is one of the largest, um, a specific kind of ministry, uh, in the world. As such, the largest, yeah, they say the largest, and there's a specific uh, kind of ministry that they they mention themselves as. Um, They say our ministry is the largest of these ministries in the world. As such, we often are asked this question, Um, and the question is, well, uh, hang on, let's see if they ask the question. Uh, The question is, is is the uh, Torah for uh, for Christians? In response, we published a short ebook. Um, however, if you are limited for time, here are the bullet points for where we stand as an organization. Um, and I, I mean, should we should we say location because it, it does kind of speak to uh, a, a significant portion of this outreach is actually in Israel. And uh, the reason that I, I say that is simply because this organization, as I believe as a whole, uh, celebrates the Sabbath on Shabbat. They, um, I believe they celebrate festivals. Um, and so their outreach is, is predominantly to Jewish people. Um, which, Baruch Hashem for that, right? Praise the Lord for that. That's great that they're uh, trying to reach the, the uh, you know, people in Israel and Jewish people around the world. Uh, who are unbelievers, they're trying to bring them to the truth of the Messiah. So we applaud them for that, um, at the very least, applaud them for that. Okay, um, so then they have 10 bullet points, and here we go. Let's just start. I don't think we're going to get to all of these because these are just packed full of uh, topics to talk about, but um, maybe this will be a two-parter. Um, we can get through a couple of them and see where we want to go. Uh, number one, there are about 350,000 Jewish believers in Yeshua. That's Jesus in the world today. Probably no more than two to three percent consider themselves Torah observant. Okay, 
I'm not sure why that is a um, bullet point for them, but well, okay. they probably did a they probably did some sort of uh, survey. Oh, I'm sure, but I mean, okay, fair enough. I, I'm wondering what the point of stating that is, though. Why does it matter? Because it's a tiny percent, I guess. They want to say that they say that most people don't do it. My mom always used to say, if your friends jumped off the Narrows Bridge, would you do it too? Maybe sometimes being the, the small percentage is a good thing, right? Um, anyway. Anyway. Um, PG asks, what's their source? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Erna asks, what's their source? And the answer is, if you look in your show notes, see, this is why it's important to get show notes. There is a link to this article, and you can find the name of the um, of the the seventy five page book that they wrote, and I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure. I hope that they give reference to these kind of questions. This is why it's important to get our show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, um, we are uh, number two. We are aware of the growing number of Gentile Christians who call themselves Hebrew Roots Movement and consider themselves to be Torah observant. Most in the Torah observant circles are not Jewish. I agree with that actually. Uh, th- Thought should be given as to why non-Jews are so eager to observe a law never intended for them. This is an interesting, I mean, this I is... I thought a, you were going to put a cricket sound... Uh, I don't have a soundboard up, but um, um, yeah, th- this is, uh, I mean, uh, I think one of the reasons that this is so interesting to me, this whole layout, there are other groups who have put forward the same kind of idea, which are groups like the MJAA and, and things like that, right? That the Torah is not for uh, Gentiles. And um, even FFOZ has, you know, a divine invitation uh, theory and, and things like this. Okay. Well, I think what's uh, interesting to me is that this is a group that's geared towards Jews and that their view of Torah is really a low one. Yet they keep it as an evangelical tool, it seems like. And the only way that I, the only reason I get that is from this, this 10 page or this 10 bullet point article that they put out where they say they don't really, you know, it seems they'll go on to kind of mention that they don't really, they don't really care about it. It's just. So they, this statement is, is a little bit um, telling and that they kind of just, they move on. Why, you know, we should, you know, wonder why would Gentiles be interested in, in keeping commandments that weren't for, were never intended for them. And then it just moves right on. And I have to pause there and I, I wonder, I'm like, are we reading the same Bible, the same book of the Bible, like Isaiah? I mean, the idea of the nations saying he's going to teach us his Torah, right? Let us go. You know, we sing the song, come, let us go up, right? Isaiah two parallel in, in the book of Micah. And what about, what about Yeshua knocking over the money changers' tables? He, he's citing Isaiah 56, right. which talks about people coming and, and worshiping God and keeping the Shabbat. I mean, I guess I don't understand uh, why, if they are really the largest ministry, as they set themselves up to be here, I, I, I would expect a little more rigor, I guess, and, and a less flippant... Uh, like straw man statements um, because it's going to come back as just seeming, in my view, I, I'd say it comes across as very shallow, um, which is sad. There, there's, there's an interesting, interesting question in the, in the chat room. Jessica writes regarding the article. 
what was the originating belief set forth uh, set for the messianic movement that was birthed in the 60s? Were they pro-Torah for all believers or only Jews? Well, the messianic movement was not birthed in the 60s. The ber- messianic movement was birthed in the beginning of the 1900s, and it was uh, an outreach. Messianic movement started as an outreach um, to attempt to uh, convert Jews to uh, to Christianity. Um, the the problem is is that what they what ended up happening was that um, it really took off in the charismatic movement, and this was not the intention originally. It was the uh, intention to convert Jews, not to have Gentiles enjoy the the rich uh, cultural aspects of the Torah. That and then eventually it began to you know then it started to shift in the in the late seventies, eighties and early nineties and this is when my father came onto the scene as well, um, where people started saying wait maybe this is actually for Gentiles you know maybe the tour is actually for Gentiles as well but originally it was an outreach it was not intended um, it wasn't even intended for Gentiles that there was no thought as to whether or not the Torah was um, was had a place for Jew or Gentile. Um, in, in within this movement, okay. What I think is great, though, is that uh, groups like this that are you know Israeli Jews that are love the Lord, passionate about the gospel, that they're in a way they're forced to think about. You know, they're confronted with the fact of of Gentiles rejoicing in in the commandments, keeping the commandments, and yep. they have to like, and so they have to go. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, what I see with this particular group is that they're They've swapped one for tr- one tradition of for, man for, for another, another tradition right. of man. What they've done is, because they there's a there's a little smack of uh, what I would call triumph uh, triumphalism over rabbinics. In other words, we we know that the upon the claim that the Torah has been done away. So, because they've they've bought. That's why, you know, uh, there's no challenge for Gentiles to, like, keep, you know, repent and, and you know, you know, come to a, a biblical calendar or anything like that. Um, rather, it's like, you you know, let the Gentiles do their thing, whatever it is. We're going to give the gospel in Israel. And at some point, we'll just let people know that, uh, you know, if Jews come to faith, that... We're only doing these commandments for a sake of uh, for, of this outreach and ministry, and and people need to unlearn the rabbinic traditions. Well, what's happening is it is that in my view, there's a failure to discern between the traditions of man and the word, the word of, God. of God. Exactly, you hit the nail on the head with that. And one. so, to the suggestion that oh well, it's not meant for you, and then you're supposed to move on, it doesn't. It's not a satisfying answer theologically, you know. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let's um, let's keep going with this. Okay, so they say uh, thought should be given as to why non-Jews are so eager to observe the law, never intended for them. We obviously disagree with that, that but let's just keep going. One is given the impression that far more than they emphasize faithfulness to the Messiah, the Torah observant Hebraic roots group emphasize Torah observance as their distinctive, and in fact imply that they are being more obedient to God or have a deeper spirituality than other believers in Jesus. I agree that this is a problem. However, um, it you know he says one uh, emphasize faithfulness to the Messiah. Well, faithfulness to the Messiah is keeping His law. 
So I agree that that we don't need to feel like we're more spiritual or deeper spiritually than uh, other believers. This is wrong, and he's completely right in that right. we elitism is not something that we should have for bloodline, whether we're Jewish or not, or for spirituality, whether we you know whether we raise our hands in service or not, or in obedience. That is, I think I'm better than you because I you know I I do this and you don't. Um, you know, I think that we have to, I think he's right. We need to learn from that. However, but, but he's, but he's wrong also. Go ahead. Well, the, it, like we were talking about the arrogance and study, you know, the knowledge puffs up, etc. We can't, you know, uh, Torah, you know, Gentiles who consider themselves quote Torah observant are not the only candidates for arrogance in this world. Right. They're not the only people who are good. We're going to be suspicious of. And so he seems to try to conflate. He he uh, gives a characterization that, by definition, I mean that the insinuation is that if you're a Gentile and you are keeping biblical calendar, Shabbat, you're a you're misinformed because you're doing something that wasn't intended for you. B, you're probably arrogant, and it's going to lead you to being bitter and judgmental of other people. That's that's the what's implied by these by their bullet points. So he he answers my question here. He says perhaps we would argue there. Perhaps they would argue their obedience to Torah is faithfulness to Christ. That's true. We would argue that I believe, but there is a distinct imbalance in their approach. Inadvertently, perhaps they have created a two tier system of believers: the more spiritual ones who observe the law, and the less spiritual ones who do not. This is not only unbiblical, but also separates these groups from the rest of the body of Christ in an unhealthy way, causing many of them to be prideful, judgmental, patronizing, and arrogant of other believers. That is, in our opinion, exactly opposite to the essence of the gospel of grace and love. Now, he's he's said a whole lot here. He has said a whole lot here. And, you know, uh, one of the, I, I do see that um, separation of the body is a, is a problem. And this is one of the reasons that um, for groups who say that the, the Torah is only for Jews and not for Gentiles, what you're doing is you're separating the body. Now, I don't think that this person would say that. In fact, I, I know that they wouldn't. I believe that this person would say the Torah is done away with. We don't have to keep it. Okay. Um, However, I think that uh, I, I, I think that his point about being judgmental, patronizing, prideful, arrogant, all these things is true. Just because we have come to an understanding of uh, uh, of sanctification through Torah does not mean that we have the right to be arrogant towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we have to remember... That's true for anybody who thinks that they're a Christian or or a Messianic or whatever. We have to... That that standard applies to the same... to their own ministry. Right. I mean... Exactly. None of us... (laughs) I'll say this. None of us are uh, above being... having an arrogant moment. You know? Hopefully we're in in healthy... Biblically based relationships, so that if that we none of us are going to get arrogant out of hand, but you know we all we all carry around the old man with us, and that needs to be kept in check. I so agree. That's I, we've kind of hit that point again and again today. Okay, and so um, I, once again, I think this isn't really you know uh, I yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Number three. Okay, so he's going to go on to number three, perhaps without their realizing it. Torah observant groups, uh, 
must either depend on rabbinic tradition, which is distinctly post-biblical, I agree that it's post-biblical, or construct their own traditions. Okay. And no, 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 no. That's that's not it. There's actually a third option. Please. So he says you, you have three options. You have. He says you have two options. I say there's three. He says you can follow rabbinic tradition, you can create your own tradition, or B, you can just adopt pagan practices. <laughs> right. He, does, he, he doesn't mention that one. Why? Why doesn't he? You could adopt, you know, pagan, you know, even the calendars are invented, right? The, the right. Julian calendar, the Gregorian calendar, right? These are all inventions. You know, even the alphabet, if you want to talk about inventions that we need to depend on and traditions, how about the, the order of the books of the Bible or, or, or just the chaptering system and the verse numbers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's tradition. You know, we, we had the thing on Shavuot. Well, where does, where does the book of Ruth belong in the canon? Well, it depends on where you look. There's at least four different ways Ideas, in right. the middle where, where you can put the book of Ruth. And each has its own inner logic. So the idea here is we depend on tradition. Even the letters, right? The letters that we use today in, the, in a Hebrew t- Torah, we know that those aren't the, the letters used in, in ancient Israel. And in terms of how to make the letters, it's, a, it's, a, it's an innovation. The vowel points are an innovation. So this idea right. of, well, you're just going to have to create your own tradition, you know. There is such thing as custom. Yeshua says he, he went on the Shabbat, he would go into the synagogue so the according to his custom. custom right? Well, where didn't, didn't anyone point out to Yeshua that the Torah never commands that you go to a synagogue on a Shabbat? So th- this is silly. This, well, is, this pre- again is, is a silly comment. Prepare yourself, um, Rob, because he's now got his straw ready and he wants to make a very large straw man because his, he, as he goes on now, he's just made the comment. This is still part of number three. He's just made the comment about um, uh, you know not using tradition. Now he's going to give examples. And here is where the straw man is totally built. For instance, members of such groups do not send their men to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem as required in the law of Moses, nor do they offer sacrifices. So there can be no question of this being an authentic first century way of observance. The irony being that if a Gentile wants to really celebrate the festivals according to the law, they first need to be circumcised. They first need to circumcise their household. Okay, we've talked about all of this so many times. And he quotes Exodus 12, 48. First of all, we don't have a temple, so we can't go be appear before the Lord every year. That's number one. Number two, I think that there's question whether or not um, whether or not people outside of land had to oh, what distance? Yeah, what, yeah, what distance people yeah. had to travel anyway? Um, I think that there's significant evidence that people only had to travel once in a lifetime if they lived outside of the land. But that's a totally different show and a totally different topic, uh, nonetheless. Um, but this is a straw man because we couldn't do that anyway. We can't go to Israel and we can't pre- present ourselves in the temple before the Lord. We can't sacrifice because we don't have a temple. So would he like to explain to us why the Jews in Israel aren't, um, aren't uh, you know, sacrificing today? 
No, this is a total straw man argument and one that is is just ridiculous. And finally, the Gentiles celebrating Passover, it doesn't say that you have to be circumcised to celebrate Passover. It says you have to be circumcised to, to eat the Passover lamb. Eat the lamb. And as, the so, lamb. and as soon as the temple is rebuilt and we start sacrificing the Passover lamb, I will totally agree. You will need to circumcise any Gentiles that want to eat the Passover lamb. And they should. They should become circumcised to be able to do that. I believe that. And that's just the commandment. It's just the simple right. commandment. There's a, but he's got a comment about the mustard, or doesn't he? Something about trying to keep the law today is like uh, eating mustard without a sandwich. Okay, hang on, just say. Well, I don't see it yet. Let's go down. Oh, it's oh. it's in number four. It's in number four, and we're at number four right now. Let's read it. He says, number four, we believe the Sinai covenant was for the nation of Israel and it was made, number one, to show us our sinful nature, number two, to separate Israel from the nations. Okay, hang on. I got to stop at number two. Where, where exactly, now, if he means make a separate people, like to show the, the followers of yod heh absolutely. But I have a feeling that he means that there is bloodline involved in this. The nation of Israel that came out of Egypt was a mixed multitude. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a, uh, a a bloodline people, but they were still considered Israel, weren't they? Well, it's back to Ruth, the story of Ruth. Exactly, who Ruth was, and the Scripture continues to call her Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. Right. Why? Because it shows that God draws people from other nations as a fulfillment of the His promise to Abraham. Yeah, so, so he's going to go on here, and uh, he's going to quote uh, Galatians. He says, as a, uh, and number three, the Torah was given as a temporary system until the Messiah comes. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, uh, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And of course, this is a complete misrepresentation of Galatians, uh, or a misinterpretation, uh, uh, I should say, of Galatians and the way in which he's using it. Um, a- absolutely, we were taken out from underneath the uh, uh, the tutelage of the of of the law because now we have the Messiah, and the law is written on our hearts. It doesn't mean we don't keep it. It means that it's written on our hearts. It's no longer, you know, it's it's a work of the Holy Spirit that helps us in um, in in sanctification. And is he saying that uh, that the law was not a tutelage for Moses? Did Moses not have faith? Was Moses saved differently than this writer was? I doubt it. I know that's not the case. And actually, if you are a um, supporter of Messiah Matters, uh, then our last uh, there's a there's a hidden page for our um, for our supporters where there's extra content every week that's given. And uh, last week we put up two videos for our supporters, and one of those videos was uh, my father explaining uh, was you know uh, did Abraham have the Holy Spirit? And were we saved differently before the Messiah came or then after? Um, It's a very, very good video, I think. Anyway, um, so if you're one of our supporters, please uh, go check it out. Okay, Um, number five. We believe that the core system of the Sinai Covenant included the sacrifices, the priesthood, and the temple, which no longer exist. I agree with that. The commandments were were tied to it and were an outflow of it. 
For example, number one, for the main biblical festivals, one had to go up to the temple in Jerusalem in order to celebrate God's feast. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Number two, the, uh, for celebrating the Shabbat, a sacrifice had to be made. Numbers 28, 9. I agree. Therefore, attempting to observe the commandments without a temple is like eating mustard without a sandwich. Um, okay. So then why in Deuteronomy does he say, when you're in the land of your enemies and you do all that I have commanded you to do this day, I will hear your voice and I will bring you back to the land. How can we keep all of the commandments in the land of our enemies without a temple, without well, sacrifices Jim, and a priesthood? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Daniel. How come Daniel uh, altered his diet? Why did he negotiate a diet that was different than what was being offered the in Babylon? The temple there was no temple. If the if if the dietary laws are not if God doesn't care about the dietary laws when there's no temple, as this bullet point uh, suggests, then why would then Daniel was why was he worried about defilement by the king's food? And why would Daniel, in a time far away from the land, in a time when there was no temple, why would he pray according to the Levitical uh, cycle of, of work, of worship, the sacrificial system? Why would he pray at the time of, of, uh, of, the, of the offering towards Jerusalem when, in fact, there was no temple, no right. priest's offering at that time? So. Right. Did Daniel misunderstand? Well, it seems like God honored Daniel. Um, God blessed Daniel. So I don't think it's wrong that Daniel uh, uh, obviously was, yes, it's true that he saw, he saw the sin, but he, uh, in Jan, Daniel chapter 9, he's confessing the transgression. But what does he want? He wants the temple restored. It's all about getting the temple built again, so that so that um, so that the whole system can be running again. It's not a um, way. Oh, yay! The temple's gone. The temple's gone. I can do whatever I want now because there's no Levitical priesthood serving right now. That that was not Daniel's attitude. Right. That wasn't Ezekiel's attitude. Right. So I want to I want to address just a comment that Jessica has made in the in the chat room. And, you know, Rob and I get frustrated often about um, some of these things as well. But Jessica says, us sitting here in our echo chamber isn't doing much to engage the topic amongst those who don't agree with Torah observance. Actually, I totally disagree with that. And uh, one of the reasons why is because I have the benefit of actually receiving the emails from people who watch this show and from people who um, call in and those kind of things. We are getting more and more emails constantly on a daily we, basis now. When we have students at Tor Resource Institute who are either A, also studying at, at traditional seminaries, seminaries right. or are, have either come from traditional seminaries or are, have taken our uh, the education that they got at Tor Resource Institute and have actually gotten credits acknowledged for work done and uh, are now in a seminary right and we have people we have students that are that are part of a local you know a stable traditional christian or protestant uh, communities 
But the point is, is that so the idea is that that they are aware of uh, of it in different ways, and of course we all we we all have a limited ability of contact with others. So that's why you know the more people out there, and as the network grows, um, you know it'll be natural. It'll grow like a like a plant. It's like more a healthy it's, tree. It's more than that, though. We get people on a literally on a daily basis now who write in and say, "I found your show on YouTube." And I've been, you know, I've been going back and listening to your shows and I have this question or I just came out of the, you know, I'm coming out of the Christian church um, and becoming Torah observant, you know, a Torah observant Christian or whatever. So, I mean, we're, you know, we have the benefit uh, granted when it, it's hard to sit in the, in the chat room and, and, uh, you know, think that uh, this is doing any good. But the fact of the matter is, is that, and we say it often, thousands of people hear this show on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. And so, uh, and more and more people are, are uh, hearing what we're saying and having to deal with some of the issues that we're bringing up. Okay, let's keep going here because uh, I want to get to, did we get to number five? Um, Ernest says we're going too quickly. We're going too quickly, okay. Well, I think we're, <laughs> so, you know. That's helpful feedback because it's, it's uh, on, on one hand, I thought we were just going to pick a few of these and move on, but uh, maybe... Well, we, we got through number five, and I think that uh, what we can do next week is we can actually look at uh, some of the rest of these. And so uh, we actually have been receiving some really great emails and questions from people. Um, and I think that it's important for us to uh, talk about those things and to um, try to answer some of those questions. Um, and uh, so next week, maybe we can go through some of these and we can also answer some more emails. Please continue to send us emails. Uh, my email address is chagatorresource.com. It's chagatorresource.com. Here, I'll bring it up for everyone on the screen that's watching on YouTube or in the live uh, stream. Okay, so there's my email address. Rob's is almost exactly the same. It's R. Vanhoff. That's his first initial and then his last name, R. Vanhoff at, at TorahResource.com. Um, and so we would encourage you and ask you for your emails and your feedback and all those kind of wonderful things. Um, you know, I, I do want to just give one more disclaimer here. We're not trying to down this ministry. In fact, I think, uh, you know, Rob was a little bit discouraged by this post, by this ministry um, when we first got the email and, and read it. And, um, you know, I had to, we both had to remind ourselves, this is a very standard and I think the predominant view, not only of Christianity, but also of people who claim to either be Messianics or um, Hebrew roots, maybe not Hebrew roots as much, but uh, Messianics for sure, that the law is only for the Jews uh, or it's not for anyone at this point. Um, but I think that we have to remember that it's, uh, this, this view is actually changing and we see the prophecies in the Bible, talk about people celebrating the, the, the festivals and celebrating the Shabbat and, and celebrating the Torah, you know, of, given from God. And so we know that in the end times, the, um, the Gentiles and the Jews will all come together for love of Messiah, right? They will come together under the banner of the Messiah, Yeshua, number one. But number two, they will also come with the Torah written on their heart and no one will have to say to his neighbor, no Adonai, for they will all know him from the least into the greatest. And so uh, I think that it's important that we remember that uh, even though our brothers and sisters at this ministry, you know, they might have some things wrong, they are taking a standard Christian view of the Torah and that we need to not put them down or um, even be flustered with them, but simply to address what we think are um, a misreading or things that are wrong within 
within, um, uh, you know, these kind of statements. Well, Caleb, and I know that you've had, you've blogged about, you know, the messianic movement, et cetera, and have, have desired to express protest in different ways. What we're seeing here is if we can line up, I don't know how many different messianic Jewish quote institutions. And it reminds me of, of what we see in the first century. If, if you were, if you come to any one of them, you're going, wow, all you guys, you guys, I, I don't know which one to believe. I, I, you guys are, it's confusing to try to keep track of what the different institutions are saying. One is saying Torah is done away and it doesn't apply, but we do it for evangelical purposes. Another will say, well, it's a heritage that is for Jews. It's not obligatory, but you can do it and enjoy it. Another is saying it is obligatory, it is obligatory but it's only for Jews. Um, and another is saying, you know, wh- whatever. You know, there's different flavors here. And how are you going to, you know, you gotta. You're never gonna be fruitful unless you are planted in, like that Psalm one, planted by like the tree by the waters, and you bear fruit. And I, I see that ultimately, there can be spaces for people to grow a certain amount spiritually in their walk with the Lord, and probably any of these groups. But ultimately, there are theological inconsistencies that when put up against the word of God um, are not helpful. They actually end up putting a stumbling block because they're affirming some sort of tradition of man over the word of God. Right. And we're all called as disciples of Yeshua to, to grow in that, uh, that discernment. Okay. Um, well, we hope that this has been a good show for everyone, and uh, we hope that you'll join us next week. For those who are supporters and accredited uh, uh, producers, um, we will have uh, another something special up for you this week. Look for it either tomorrow or on Friday. And until next time, we will uh, hopefully, this conversation is the one thing, glorify our great God and Savior. Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.